Let me just start by saying uh, how excited I am uh, about summer camp. What a, what a great uh, blessing for our church. You know, it's, you plan these things for the church, and, uh, you know, for, for pastors, the, the, the year kind of moves in weeks, you know, because, you, you, you know, Sundays are my, my big days, and then you put these things on the schedule, and you think, well, that's so far out there. That's never going to get here, and then it does, and, you know, this summer, uh, to have had the children's Bible camp and then uh, the youth camp, and so many of you have served uh, to make that happen. And what a joy. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for everybody who went. I'm thankful for all of the, um, the young people who went, but I'm really thankful for all of you who served this past week. I know my kids, um, just hearing all of the stories, and, and we have laughed, and uh, just, just had so many good times talking about all of that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, let, me, let me pray, and I just want to praise the Lord one more time for that. Father, I, I thank you so much for safety. We prayed for safety, and we prayed for um, opportunities to speak uh, to hearts about Jesus Christ, and we prayed that our young people would have a good time. And Father, we just we want to be thankful. We want to be thankful that you answered that prayer, and thank you for, for all of the things that you have led different members of this body to do this summer. And uh, God, I pray that that would just be the, the seeds of, of more ways that Hope Bible Church is, is just going beyond the normal, the Sunday, um, and, and just, just considering all the different ways that we can encourage one another. Uh, thanks for these opportunities, especially with our kids. Father, please, please, please raise up a generation of, of young people here at Hope who are strong and fear the Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So just, just so grateful for that. Um, all right, so we have come to our ninth ascent psalm today. Uh, we've been journeying through these 15 psalms of ascent this summer. We're taking a break from the book of John. We will pick up uh, in the book of John chapter 13 after Labor Day. Uh, let me just talk for a second about what we're doing here. I do think there's a fear among pastors sometimes that if I'm not preaching, uh, people are going to wonder what in the world I'm doing. Um, and it's been a blessing to me to be able to have this discussion. Um, we're going to pray for Travis West uh, at the end of the service, and I'll tell you, the first time I ever met Travis uh, was about 10 years ago when we had started a little church called Cornerstone Church, and I went to Bill Fowler, and I, I think I had preached like 50 sermons in a row. Um, and I was like, I just need, I need somebody to preach. I need a break. And Bill sent me Travis uh, 10 years ago. And I, was that your first sermon ever? Yeah. <laughs> so um, that was a long time ago. But I mean, so I, I say that to say we're blessed that we've got so many guys here uh, who are able to handle uh, the Word of God. Um, so therefore, we need to be a church who hears from other men. And we have men who are learning to preach here. We have seasoned preachers in our body. And I, I would say I, I, I hope that hope uh, is a church where we are raising up men to send out into other ministries um, because we say, you know, this, this guy can handle the Word of God. 
And that that's, that that's part of what we're doing here. And then second, just so you know, it's such an encouragement to me to get to sit and hear from, from people who are speaking to our body. Because I can listen to sermons, you know, uh, on, on my phone, on pod, I can, but, but that's not somebody who's, who's preaching to, to our body. I, I'm, not, I'm not getting to hear that. So just for the last few weeks to be able to get to hear from preachers who have prayed about and considered this text as it relates to Hope Bible Church has been such a joy, a joy to me. So I know that you guys don't think this is just filler. Uh, this isn't the B team. Uh, I'm so thankful for all of the positive feedback that we've gotten. And like I said, I've been personally blessed. And we're going to be doing this again. We will do this at other times. Right now, because a lot of our guys, it's easier for them to have time to prepare in the summer. We, we're doing it in the summer. We may not always do it in the summertime. And I would say this too. If some of you desire to learn how to preach and teach, that's a good desire. Uh, and if, if that's your heart, come and talk to me. Come and talk to the other, one of the other guys. I would love to begin to shape you and teach you how to handle the Word of God. We do have a seminary. We're going to be starting back up with seminary classes on Monday nights on August 10th. If that's something uh, that you're interested in, we're, we're starting that back up. Um, so let us know, and uh, we will help equip you to be able to, to handle the Word of God. You know, I have a suspicion that when the, when the church at Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas out, like, it wasn't like those guys were like just a couple of guys in the back that they were like, ah, you two. Um, no, I'm, I'm assuming those were men who were gifted and who were contributing to the congregation, and they sent those guys out um, to do, to do a, another work out there. So, like I said, I'm happy to be back. To be back. I'm happy to, to have the opportunity to preach Psalm 128 to you this morning. Robbie preached Psalm 127 last week, and you're going to find some, some very um, common themes here uh, as we go through this psalm this morning. All right, um, what does the family? Okay, so before we read the psalm, uh, these are two psalms, Psalm 127 and Psalm 128, that are both about the family. So something I've been thinking this week, because we've made a lot that these psalms of ascent were songs that were sung while the pilgrims went on their way to Jerusalem for the feasts. Uh, they were collected for that purpose, all right? So how do psalms about the family fit into these songs that are, that are being sung on that journey? Well, first of all, I think this. These feasts were very much family affairs. So the only record that we have of Jesus' boyhood is when he came to the temple with Mary and Joseph for the Passover, and he was 12 years old. And if you remember, Luke says when Jesus went missing, Mary and Jesus, they spent a whole day. They didn't even notice he was missing because they just assumed that he was with their relatives or their acquaintances. So there's just this large crowd, young and old children, all in this caravan headed up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover together, all right? So in that context, this song wouldn't seem out of place at all, right? It's just a whole bunch of families going together up to Jerusalem. Second, I think we can say this. In the Scripture, and especially for this psalmist, family, work, and worship, they're all one thing. There's no, there's no compartmentalization. The fear of the Lord permeates every area of our lives as the people of God. So what we see here is this holistic vision 
of the blessed and happy life. And so those people who were on the way up to Jerusalem for this feast, they were God-fearers who expected to be blessed. And so this is a celebration of the home that fits well into that expectation. Now, I want to mention one more thing as we approach this psalm, and then we'll read it. Uh, This psalm, and this is important, contains truisms, not promises. Okay, so this is something that's common in the Old Testament, a truism. It's something that's generally true, all right? Uh, So, like Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart in it. That is a truism. It doesn't mean that every single child who's been raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord is going to grow up and follow the Lord. It also doesn't mean that every single child who hasn't been raised up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord isn't going to follow the Lord. But for Christian parents, it's generally true we want to raise our children up, and when we do, we can expect that God will bless that. Another one, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God, that the Lord your God is giving to you. There are godly, faithful children who have not lived to an old age. There are wicked people who have lived to an old age. It doesn't mean that the truism isn't generally true, that it is good for children to honor their father and their mother. So let's say it like this. These are aspirational. They are ideas to ideals to be aspired to. There is a promise. Hear me. There is a promise that those who fear the Lord will be blessed, but the outworking of that blessing, it is tainted by sin. It's tainted by our sin. It's tainted by other people's sin. It's tainted by the curse of sin in this world. And so, there will be godly people, very godly people who are not married. The Apostle Paul was not married. He was a godly person. There will be godly people who can't have children for various reasons. There are God-fearers who work hard and struggle. There are spouses who struggle, children who struggle, churches who struggle. Think about Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, who probably knew this psalm and prayed and prayed and prayed that she would have a child and had to wait all the way into her old age to have John. And faithful children will die young in some cases. When you read uh, histories of old godly pastors, I'm always amazed. You read these histories and these men had, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten children, you know, but five of them died before they were two years old, all right? So again, these are truisms, not promises. On the other hand, we look around, we see that the wicked prospers. The writer of Psalm 73, Asaph, he says, but as for me, my foot almost slipped, my steps nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So as we approach these things, We just need to understand that we shouldn't be distracted from the promise of blessing for fearing the Lord. And let me tell you this too, no matter what you see on Instagram, no one of us in this room has attained fully to these blessings. And until Jesus comes, the Son of God who's going to come again like we just sang, until He comes, we cannot expect that we will have this kind of blessing that is entirely free from the the sin that indwells our hearts and that uh, affects our world. And so we look forward to that day. So don't be discouraged. There's no time like the present to change, 
to become a God-fearer and to aspire to these things. So that's, that's what I want to lay out for you this morning. Let me read Psalm 128 uh, for you, and then we will dig into the, the psalm. A song of a sense. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your home, and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. All right. I've got two points this morning, and they're going to be a shock to some of you. And I'm really happy to share this with you. I've been excited as I've looked at this this week. Here's my, here's my two points. The fear of the Lord makes you happy and appreciated. Does that language surprise you? The fear of the Lord makes you happy and appreciated. Does that strike you as like shallow or simplistic or maybe even irreverent? What do you mean that I would fear the Lord and expect to be happy and appreciated? But that's what this psalm teaches, and those are my two main points this morning. First of all, who doesn't want to be happy and appreciated? Many, many, many people right now are struggling because they are unhappy and unappreciated. It's not wrong to seek happiness and appreciation. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Here is how you can be happy. So hold on here. When we started a few years ago, when we were going through 2 Corinthians, I was reading a little book. Some of you remember this. It's called Happiness by Randy Alcorn. And Alcorn makes this very convincing case, and I've seen it in other places now, that we should translate that word blessed, happy. And if you go look back at some of the older translations of the, the Scripture, blessed is often translated as happy. So we tend to think of blessed as like, he is blessed. A very spiritual, like, pious thing. A holy man who, who makes a... Be blessed. Okay. But what if you think about blessing as happiness? God wants his people to be blessed. That's nice. God wants his people to be happy. Hmm. Tell me more about that. In 2 Corinthians uh, 1.3, we saw this. I don't know if you all remember. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And remember how we said you could read that as happy is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort who wants to comfort you. Your happy heavenly Father wants to comfort you. Does that feel wrong? Does it feel slightly sacrilegious? It shouldn't, because that's what the Bible says. It's not God standing like this. It's, it's God standing like this. It's, it's, the pro, it's the Father waiting for the prodigal son. So listen again then to that first verse in Psalm 128, verse 1. Blessed or happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. How counterintuitive is this? So there are 150 references in the Bible to the fear of the Lord, and most of them are in the Old Testament, but some of them are in the New Testament. 
Jerry Bridges has a, a great book. The title is The Joy of Fearing God. Who even thinks like that? The Joy of Fearing God. And he encourages us to think of fearing God uh, by considering that we are creatures in God's presence, all right? So not that, we are, not that we are afraid of Him, not that we are repulsed in fear, but that we are drawn to fear. Luke 5 tells the story of Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And Peter has been fishing all night, and Peter's a fisherman. Peter knows what he's doing, and he's caught nothing. And Jesus says, throw your nets back out. And Peter says, <laughs> okay, Lord, we'll see. The nets are full, and they have to get somebody to help them to drag it in. What is, what is Peter's response? Is it, oh, wow, thanks, Jesus. That was great. No. When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Why did he respond like this? Because he recognized that he was in the presence of God. In our, in our meeting with our men on Wednesday mornings, which all of you men are invited to, 7 o'clock, we're reading through Isaiah. We went to Isaiah 6, and Isaiah comes into the presence of the Lord, and there's all of those seraphim and seraphim, and they're all flying around, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And it's this majestic scene with the train of his robe filling his temple. And what does Isaiah do? He falls down, and he says, I am undone. Woe is me. Literally, I, I should cease to exist. That's what he's saying. And an angel comes and takes that little uh, censer and puts it on his lips and says, you're clean, you can stand up. One more point. In Revelation 1, John, who knew Jesus, lived with Jesus for three years, the apostle John sees the ascended, glorified Jesus Christ. And in verse 17, it says, when I saw him, I fell down as though dead. That's an appropriate fear of the Lord. So Bridges says this. He says, The God who revealed himself to Peter and Isaiah and John is the same omnipotent and holy God today. He has revealed himself to us in his word, and we need to know of him properly so that we can fear him. There's a healthy fear of human beings that occurs when we encounter the design, the, the divine. So how could we possibly cover this this morning. We can't. We could spend months, if not years, exploring the fear of the Lord. I highly commend that study to you personally. But if you are a Christian here this morning, then I hope that you know something of this reverential awe that is the fear of God that I'm speaking of. I hope you know something about that. Have you seen Jesus Christ as He is revealed in the Word of God? Have you had those moments? And, and I, I hope all of us have those moments of clarity when we see Jesus and we recognize Him, and it produces a reverential awe in us. Because when you have your eyes open and you see God, the only response to that is to cry out to Him for the salvation that only He can provide. Because when you see God's holiness, you see your own sin and you say, I need help. And the stunning reality is that the cross is God Himself suffering and dying to provide that salvation. And it's Christ's blood that covers our sin and enables us to stand in His presence. There's something that I picture, and I think I'm right. I think that when we come to see Jesus for the first time, whether or not 
We die and we're suddenly in His presence or He comes to receive us. I think we're all going to fall down. I think the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I think our response to seeing Jesus will be the same as John and Peter and Isaiah and any other number of people in the Scriptures. But then I think of that promise in James 4.10 that I love, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. And I just picture seeing Jesus and I think I'm going to be on my face and I think I'm going to feel His hand or something, I don't know, picking me up and saying, no, you are welcome here. You are welcome in my presence. Can you wait for that day? That's, that's a pretty exciting thought. Can you imagine that? The joy of fearing God. So the psalmist says, happy is he who walks in, I mean, who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. I love that there's a little exclamation point right there in the ESV. That's not in the Hebrew. The, the writers of the ESV are just like little, you know, who walks in his ways. Little, little excitement there. So the happy person fears God and walks in his ways. He does what God says. When you understand that you have recognized this, this happy and holy God, it makes sense that you would say, okay, I need to find out how, what He has told me to do, and I need to do that. And so in the Bible, walking with the Lord is just a metaphor for your way of life. It means how you live. And so the fear of the Lord should lead us to discover how He has commanded us to live and to do that. Once again, how very counterintuitive. Happy is everyone who walks in the ways of the Lord. This is shocking. Almost every movie that depicts a person, a Christian, who would say fear, fears the Lord insists that people shouldn't do happy things. Like, I mean, how many movies out there are there where the people who fear God are like running around trying to keep people from dancing? Like, I mean, this, this, is, this is every story that has Christian people for 40 years. It's a lie. Those who walk in God's ways are happy. Maybe this is shocking to you. Do you believe that obeying God will make you happy? Do you believe that God wants to keep you from things that will make you unhappy? The happy God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ wants you to be happy. And the pathway to that is not what anybody would expect. The world needs more happy Christians who prove that wrong. And those who fear the Lord and walk in His ways are said to be happy. By the way, you guys, the world is full of unhappy people. The mental health profession right now, by all reports, is overwhelmed. Churches are full of unhappy people. Perhaps you're unhappy. I know there are a lot of legitimate reasons for being unhappy. And, and understand, by happiness, we're not talking about, I'm just happy, I'm happy, bad things are happening. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a settled joy, a settled trust that no matter how bad things get, that there's that peace that, understand, peace that passes understanding. Okay, so don't hear, you know, I'm happy, I'm being happy. Don't hear that. Don't hear that. But I would ask you to consider, if you're unhappy, do you fear the Lord and walk in His ways? Is it possible that you've missed that or maybe that you've forgotten it? Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I would suggest to you this morning, try it. Try trusting the Lord. Try living in the fear of the Lord and walking in His ways. 
If you're unhappy, might you just try something different in light of this passage? All right, so the fear of the Lord leads to happiness. What kind of happiness? So, some might read God's description of happiness in verses 2 through 3 and think, that doesn't sound very nice at all, all right? So, here's, here are some things that get fleshed out for us in, in verses 2 and 3. Hard work will make you happy. A flourishing wife will make you happy. And children will make you happy. So, in Psalm 128, God's blessings are centered around work and the family. The picture here is of a dinner table. The family has gathered, and they are eating of the produce of their labor. It's, there's a big sign behind them that says, Home Sweet Home. And remember, God's original intent for His creation for human beings was that we would be fruitful and multiply, that we would work hard in that garden, and that we would uh, populate the earth. Psalm 37, 4, this is one of my favorite verses. Desire, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, it's very difficult to miss, to, to miss it's very easy to misunderstand this verse. You know, well, the desire of my heart is, you know, to own a Porsche. Lord, bring it. It's not the point of the verse, right? We know that, all right? So here's, here's how I understand the verse. If I delight myself in the Lord, if I am a person who fears God, then the new covenant has promised that God will give me a new heart. That's, that's the promise of the new covenant. The Holy Spirit is going to come in. He's going to change my heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And when you live fearing the Lord and walking in His ways, God changes your heart, and then He gives you those desires of your heart. That's how I understand that verse. And I think I have, I've seen this in my own life. I graduated from Georgia State University in 1997. That's right. I'm a panther. Did you know that? Did you even know that we were called the Panthers? I think if you had given me a snapshot of my life as it is today, don't hear me, hear me out, in 1997, when I was moving to go to seminary, I would have been like, what? <laughs> I mean, I left Savannah... Uh, sometime in the 90s, and I was never coming back here. I was like, I'm going to a big city, I'm going to Atlanta, and then God took me to L.A., and then God took me to Chicago. I like city stuff. I'm never coming back to Savannah. Here I am, and I am so happy to be here. And God has done so many things. I'll talk to you personally. But God has done so many things in my life that if, if you had told me my life was going to be like this 20 years ago, I would have been like, uh-uh. I'm going I'm to actually work against that. And God has done it, and I love it, and I'm excited, and I see those things over and over again in my life. So, God can do something. He can give you these desires. And let me just say this as we go through this passage. I thought of this while we were sitting down here singing this morning. If you're behind, if you're like, I have wasted a lot of my life, I have not been fearing the Lord, I, I just start now, right? There's, there's this verse in, in, I think it's in Nahum, you know, where God talks about restoring the years that the locusts have eaten. You can start now, and God can do things in your life right now that you would never imagine, that he can, he can change those desires and then grant you those desires, okay? So there's nowhere to start but the present, all right? All right, so we're just going to work through. Remember, these are truisms. I'm going to stop apologizing for them. Here we go. Number one, hard work makes you happy. You shall eat of the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. So the first blessing 
of somebody who fears the Lord is that you will work hard and enjoy the fruit of your labor. So a lot of people today believe that the goal of life is to be able to stop working. That's, this, is what, this is what our culture believes. So if you're younger, the goal is to be able to stay home, watch Netflix, look at your phone, order takeout, right, and just, just stay inside. It's baffling to me. When I, was, when I was a teenager, the last thing I wanted to do was stay home. I wanted, I wanted to get out with my friends. I wanted to go and do things. I'm, I'm shocked today by how much people want to stay home and be alone, all right? So that's one side. And then, and then on the other side of life, you've got people who are getting older whose goal it is, I just want to retire and I want to do nothing for the rest of my life. I want to retire young and I want to stop working. And one would think that if you buy this version of happiness that God had created us for leisure, and yet we've been in a society that has kind of stopped working for over a year, and nobody's happy. Nobody's happy with that because God created humans to work and be productive. God told Adam as a part of the curse that work would be fruitful only by the sweat of his brow. But God's original intent is not lost. That happy life is still a life that produces, that works hard and produces things. And let me tell you something, y'all. If you are looking forward to living in the kingdom of God and, and sitting on a cloud and strumming a harp, you are going to be very disappointed. It is not going to be leisure as we have conceived of it. It is going to be work, but it is going to be fruitful, joyful work for the sake of Jesus Christ. You know, I, Jesus says he's going there to be, prepare a place for us, you know, and so we're going to have this dwelling that is going to be perfectly fit for us. Well, I don't have exact words for it, but I think we're going to get there, and he's going to have a job that is perfectly fit for us to do, to serve him. Do you know that sitting around and doing nothing all the time does not make you happy? I had a friend, it was Dave Crawford, I'll give, if you're listening, Dave, I'll give you credit, but he would always say that the, the ring of power, you know, Lord of the Rings, the ring of power, you get it and it destroys you. The ring of power for, uh, for people, especially young men, is free time. Everybody wants it, and then it destroys you. And I'm not denying the value of vacation or rest. Consider the fact that these psalms are being sung on the way up to Jerusalem for a festival, which translates party, you know, so there is a time to kick back and relax and enjoy, but there is also a time to work hard, and when you do, God says, you will be blessed by enjoying the fruit of your labor. So hear this, those who fear the Lord will eat the fruit of their hands and shall be blessed, and it will be well with you. Secondly, a flourishing wife leads to a happy life. A flourishing wife leads to a happy life. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. So the psalm is written to husbands. All right, so there is certainly application to all of us in this psalm, but understand this is a specific uh, truism to dads and husbands, all right? Yes, there are godly people in difficult marriages, but generally speaking, the one who walks in the fear of the Lord can expect that his wife will flourish. I like that word flourishing because it, it pictures a vine, which is what 
the writer uses here, growing and producing a fruitful vine is supposed to be treasured and cultivated. And married men, your question for you is, do you see your wife flourishing within your household? Because husbands, the happiness of your home depends on you walking in the fear of the Lord. And some of you are sitting here thinking, well, it's up to her too. What about my flourishing? Yes, but that's a different passage. We're not there today. The man who fears the Lord and walks in his ways will enjoy the happiness of a wife who is flourishing. I've seen a lot. I call them tit-for-tat marriages. And what I mean by that is this. It's like a marriage where everybody is keeping score. Like, if you're going to flourish, I get to flourish. If you get something good, I get something good. If you get to spend money, I get to spend money. But what God's Word says here is that the man who fears the Lord will be happy because his wife is flourishing. It will bring him joy. You guys, the principle for a happy marriage, as far as I can understand it, is that the husband and the wife are trying to make each other happy. If I am trying to make Erica happy, then I'm happy when she's happy. And if she's trying to make me happy, then she's happy when I'm happy. But if we're turned away from each other, and if we're just seeking our own flourishing, that is not going to go well. The man who fears the Lord loves to see his wife flourishing. Men, for the sake of your family, do not underestimate the importance of your devotion to the Lord. You are the spiritual leader of your home. You set the direction. You guys, this is getting pummeled out there right now. And I am not saying that there are not bad applications of this, okay? But just because an axe can be used to destroy something doesn't mean that it's not a good tool when it's used the right way. Men, lead your home. The fruit of that life will be a flourishing wife and children who are a reward. We saw some of this last week. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Last week we saw that they're going to be like arrows to be shot. This week we see them as olive shoots, little olive plants, little vines, healthy, vigorous, with tons of potential. Once again, consider the view, consider the view of most people today. Many couples choose to postpone children to focus on career and personal goals. Others say regularly that having children harms the earth, that the planet can't sustain more and more human life. That is the opposite of God's view about children. Not only are they a blessing, but God has commanded us to have more and more of them. More people are good, according to God's word. The original creation mandate, again, was be fruitful and multiply. Side note, isn't it interesting that God's plan for blessing includes hard work and children, two of the things that most people today consider to be hindrances to their happiness? Let your prosperity be informed by God's Word. So children are like olive shoots. They have tremendous potential. An an olive tree can live for hundreds of years and continue to produce fruit. The olive tree produces the things that makes life nice. 
It's, you know, you grow grain and you can eat bread, which is good. I mean, everybody loves grain, but when you've got olives, you've got oil for burning, you've got oil for cooking, it adds flavor. Olive, olives make life nice. And so cultivating those little olive shoots, it takes constant work, but it produces fruit that lasts for generations. And in a world that refuses to have children, we right here at Hope, we can influence Savannah simply by having more children. God-fearing parents raising up God-fearing children is definitely a way that we can influence where we live. Do not underestimate the blessing of a godly heritage. This is God's view of a, of a blessed life. All right, so the fear of the Lord leads to happiness. Now, this is where you're probably all like, what does he mean by that? The fear of the Lord leads to praise, leads to appreciation. Look at verse 4. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. All right, so that's a little bit of a different word for blessed here. It's a word that means appreciated or praised. So hear it like this. The man who fears God and walks in his ways will be, enjoy being appreciated by that family around that table. Thus shall the man be blessed, be praised, who fears the Lord. Who doesn't want to be appreciated? Social media has become this gigantic cesspool of people trying to get people to like them. Hollywood is an industry populated by people who long to be praised and adored. Human beings long for other human beings to recognize them, and yet very few people claim to be happy. But God offers a pathway to happiness to the one who fears Him, and the byproduct of that is that you will be surrounded by people who love you and appreciate you and who bless you. Listen to Proverbs 31, 28. This is speaking about the mom in that situation. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also. He praises her. Many women have done excellent, but you surpass them all. The praise of those around your table is a blessing from God. But it gets better. Verse, 120, uh, verse 5, the Lord bless you from Zion. You're going to have a family, a man who walks in the fear of the Lord has a family who wants to praise him, but it says the Lord, same word, the Lord bless you. The Lord, what is this? Ought we to seek that the Lord would, would appreciate us and congratulate us? And yet aren't we told by Jesus that the man who got the talent and used it well was told by his master, what? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Why does it seem strange to us that the Lord might be pleased with us and congratulate us and that that might be something that we would want, the God of the universe being pleased? Who wouldn't rejoice to hear their father say, well done, I am pleased with you. Zephaniah 3.17, you've probably heard this verse before. This is a passage written to Israel after they have gone through the discipline of the Lord when God calls them back to Himself. But listen to this, this description of God. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. 
He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt you with loud singing. We are told over and over again in the Scripture to make it our goal to please God. And he isn't fickle. He hasn't made things obscure. And since he is our happy Heavenly Father, he wants to let us know when he is pleased. Don't be a man-pleaser. Be a God-pleaser. Psalm 128 closes with two benedictions. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see the purposes of God accomplished. So, as we raise our families, as we work hard, as we walk in the fear of the Lord, we are not isolated from those around us. We are raising up arrows to shoot them, to go out. And that happiness of a God-fearing home spills over into the world around us. For the faithful Israelite, that meant the prosperity of Jerusalem. Very simply, God promised that if the nation did as He told them to do, they would be blessed and prosper. And so, a faithful family would rejoice to see the nation of Israel prosper. On this side of the cross, God's purpose in prospering His people are different, but we should still rejoice when we see God's purposes being accomplished. We are raising children who are going to contribute to the good of the church and the good of the community around us. And there's a progression here. As I raise my family in the fear of the Lord, my family is blessed, and my family is blessed so that I can anticipate seeing further manifestation of God's blessings. We're not just collecting up those arrows. We are preparing them to be shot. Remember this, parents. We're preparing arrows to be shot and olive trees that will be fruitful. Our children are in our homes for a very, very short time of their lives. Prepare them to leave. And then I would add, we work not just to provide for ourselves. We don't just produce so that we can, but we work so that we can be generous to those around us. God blesses us so that we can bless others. And then this final, this final benediction. I love it. It's so, like, simple. May you see your grandchildren. May you see your children's children. A long life surrounded by your children's children. How could you possibly be disappointed in that outcome at the end of your life? Can you imagine anybody regretting finishing their life surrounded by children's children who love them? You guys, if it wasn't for sin, everybody would see that this is the blessed and happy life. This is is what God wants for us. And this passage is not an exhaustive, practical guide about work and family. I know I've touched on some big things. They're touched on briefly in the passage, so we've touched on them briefly here. But I would ask you, what's your win? How do you hope to end your days Riches does not equal blessing. Lots of people die rich and miserable. Many Christians have died poor and happy. That's just true. Leisure does not equal blessing. Being able to stop and not do anything else, that's not a blessing. The the Bible doesn't affirm that. I had a a, um, professor in college. We were just texting about him with the guys yesterday, Dr. Wayne Mack. Some of you may have heard of him. He used to say, I'm not going to retire 
I'm just going to retread. And so he retired teaching in Los Angeles, and he moved to South Africa, and he started teaching there, and that's where he lives today, continuing to teach in his 80s. Continuing. I love that. I'm not going to retire. I'm just going to retread. Let God's Word define what's blessed. I'm going to close just by reading this passage. Uh, Just about every commentator I read linked this chapter to this passage from Jesus. It's in Matthew 7. Perhaps Jesus even had this little Psalm 128 in mind as he said this. It's familiar. There's a song. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not, does them, I'm sorry, let me read again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So we'll just leave it there with the words of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this view of happiness. And Father, we acknowledge, we acknowledge we live in a world tainted by sin. We live in bodies. We're still fighting the flesh. Father, we know that though we seek this ideal blessing that ultimately we wait for Jesus to come back and restore all that it was meant to be. But Father, help us not to undermine your word and your promises such as they are because we just think that it's unattainable. Father, I pray for those in this room right now, and I know there are some who hear this and think, it's too late for me. I can't even begin to contemplate what's described in this. And Father, I pray that you would give them grace to see that they can repent and they can change and they can change and fear the Lord and see the blessings of that even now. And Father, I know that there are others who maybe seek to fear the Lord, but but right now we see in our families, we see in our work, we see in our marriages, we see in our communities, it's it's like, ah, like like the psalmist, why do the wicked prosper? Father, I pray that that we would trust that we are building our house upon the rock, and that even though those winds and those rains, they come, Jesus even says they're going to come, Father, help us, help us, Lord, to persevere in faith through the storms and the floods and to remember, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walk in His ways. May that be true of us. Father, may we have a heritage out of Hope Bible Church where people can say the families of Hope Bible Church are truly committed to fearing God and walking in his ways. May that be true of us, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to turn now, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Um, We've talked a lot about our hope of what's to come. The last verse that we read every week in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says that we will do this until he comes. I would just encourage you this morning, check your heart. What are you building on? Are you building on the rock? Or are you building on the sand? 
And uh, if you find that you're building on the sand, like truly, truly building on the sand, that you, that you don't understand anything that I'm saying here, um, then, then I would ask you to not take this cup and this bread right now. But if that blessedness, that happiness appeals to you, come and talk to one of us and let us lead you to that rock who is Jesus Christ. It's real. There are many in this room who will testify to you that there is joy in fearing the Lord, as counterintuitive as that sounds. And then for everyone else, if you're a member of a church, if you are a professing Christian, we would invite you to join with us as we take the bread and the cup. And the guys are going to hand that out right now. When you get the bread and the cup, just hang on to it. I'll come up and read a passage, and then we'll take it together in just a few minutes. Thank you.